Welcome to the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. My name is Andrew James Brown and I'm the minister of the Unitarian Church in Cambridge, UK. Knowing that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely and that, therefore, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk, I hope that, on occasions, you'll find here a helpful liberal, religious and philosophical reflection that encourages you to journey through life, making footprints rather than blueprints. Welcome. Tiny seeds and tiny words of love, freedom and justice. Scatter them. A short thought for the day offered to the Cambridge Unitarian Church as part of the Sunday service of mindful meditation. Jesus' teaching, a teaching deeply rooted, remember, in the 8th century Jewish prophetic tradition of Amos, Hosea, Isaiah and Micah, centres on the left-behind poor of his own time. Despite evidence to the contrary, he was able to proclaim and live and die by the belief that blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Alas, since Jesus' day, evidence to the contrary has only continued to be gathered, so much so that the rich and powerful around the world continue to look down from their thrones, or today perhaps from their Lulu Little designed sofas in some penthouse, and they have good reason to believe that the poor will never inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are hungry will never be filled. Those who weep now will never laugh. From their perspective, the jury seems to have come out in their favour, and this enables them confidently to ignore Jesus' parallel teaching, in which he said, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. In fact, so secure and utterly without woe remain the rich and powerful in our culture that in the daily evening service of our state religion, without a scintilla of either awareness and or irony, there is still said or sung the Magnificat, Mary's Song of Praise which reads in part that God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lowly, has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. So today, in the face of all the evidence to the contrary, what are we to make of and do with Jesus' words? Should we just abandon them all as arrant, idealistic nonsense and simply get down with the brutal neoliberal project, along with people like Liz Truss, Quasi Quateng, Suella Braverman and the free market think tanks at 55 Tufton Street? No, of course not. But successfully to resist the wholesale attack on the poor, hungry and grief-stricken of our own time, I remain convinced we need to access once again the radical and still undischarged energy contained in Jesus' words. In our current situation, one thing we need to see clearly and urgently address 
is the way formal religio-political structures have, again and again, succeeded in neutralising progressive and reformist forces by co-opting and domesticating their language to make it work for precisely the opposite cause. This is done because Jesus' language is dangerous. It really does threaten the hegemony of the rich and powerful. In fact, it's so powerful and dangerous that it can't now be got rid of. Too many people know about it to do that. But it has been successfully suppressed, cooled and contained. Think of nuclear fuel. It is so dangerous and capable of producing huge amounts of energy that it has to be contained inside a pressure vessel, constantly cooled by water, which is then placed inside a building-sized confinement shell. The teaching of Jesus, and indeed the intimately related Song of Mary and the words of the 8th century prophets, this teaching is so dangerous it has to be put inside the pressure vessel of religious doctrines, constantly cooled by lovely music and soothing prayers, which are then placed inside a formal state religion, also known as a culture-sized containment shell. After all, one doesn't want that kind of radical reformist stuff exploding all over the place, does one? Good Lord, no. Now there is good evidence that Jesus knew about this kind of strategy and it explains, perhaps, the true import of his parable of the mustard seed, the common Christian interpretation of which is itself a great example of containment, cooling and neutralising. Christianity did this by making the story seem to be merely a platitudinous tale about growth in which small things become Big things. So before we go on, just to remind you, here's the parable as it is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 32. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, the first thing you need to know, if you are to free this story and tap into its still undischarged energy, is that Pliny the Elder, the first century Roman author and naturalist, tells us something that was well known in Jesus' time, namely, mustard with its pungent taste and fiery effect, is extremely beneficial for the health. It grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. You also need to know that in the Mishnah, a later 3rd century text, which eventually came to form part of the Talmud, the authors tell us that because of its tendency to run wild, the planting of mustard seed in a garden was forbidden in Jewish Palestine. What this means, as the New Testament scholar John Dominic Crossan notes, is that it is hard to escape the conclusion that Jesus deliberately likens the rule, or kingdom of God, to a weed, 
Crossan then goes on to say that it, quote, it is not just that the mustard seed starts as a proverbially small seed and grows into a shrub of three or four feet or even higher. It is that it tends to take over where it is not wanted, that it tends to get out of control and that it tends to attract birds within cultivated areas where they are not particularly desired. And that, said Jesus, was what the kingdom was like. Not like the mighty cedar of Lebanon, and not quite like a common weed, but like a pungent shrub with dangerous takeover qualities. Something you would want only in small and carefully controlled doses, if you could control it. So let those with ears hear, and those with eyes see. Because the rich and powerful have never and will never want the mustard seed-sized words of Jesus to be sown. Because when they are, they really do have a tendency to run wild and take over. It's not that his teaching is wrong or arrant nonsense. Rather, it is that we, the potential sowers of the seed, have not been scattering it as much or as widely as we might. So here in the Cambridge Unitarian Church this morning, you have in your hands some mustard seeds. And in your hearts, you have some tiny words of love, freedom and justice. Scatter them. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints Not Blueprints podcast. So farewell for now and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path.